0: As I mentioned, it's a Global Outreach Sunday, and it is my joy and, uh, and privilege to be able to uh, introduce to you um, some of our new Global Outreach partners. They are headed to Spain. Joseph and Hannah Gruy are coming. Um, if some of you may recognize the last name, I know a few people in our, in our church body at least know Joseph's parents, so, or at least know of them. So welcome. A joy uh, to welcome you here. So I won't take much more of your time. But uh, yeah, thank let you. you introduce your family. So. Yeah, thank you. Well it's so good to be here with you this morning, Valley Bible Church. It's a real sweet thing we were able to join you a couple of weeks ago now. And uh, it was really sweet to fellowship with you all. This is I'm Joe, like Caleb mentioned, Joseph Gruy, my wife Hannah. This is our daughter Pearl and Lena. Hannah is the greatest earthly gift that God's given me besides Christ. So I just want you all to see her and get to know her. And, and afterwards, Lord willing, just get a chance to meet you and, and so that you would get a chance to meet her as well. So I'm going to send them back to the back. Pearl would distract you a little bit as uh, I preach this morning. So thank you for having me, Caleb. Yeah. Well, again, it's just so, so good uh, to get to be here this morning and to open God's word. Caleb asked me to share a little bit about Hannah and I and just kind of what we're going to be doing in Spain and how we got to where we're at. So we're going to do that in in the first half of our time this morning. And then in the second half, we'll focus on God's Word. That's why we came here this morning, is to hear from God. And we'll look a little bit at just a a brief overview of some of the foundational theology uh, that uh, shows us that we as Christians need to be focused on planting churches as part of our Fulfilling the Great Commission. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump in, and we'll tell you a little bit about us and our ministry here. Lord, we're so grateful to you for your great love for us and for all of these incredible truths that we've just sung about in worship to you and thinking about you as our God and Father and Christ our Lord, your Son and the Holy Spirit and his ministry dwelling within us. We're so thankful for that. Pray that as we open your word today, what would happen is we'd be challenged to love you more, to seek to fulfill your commands for us, uh, to preach the gospel, to proclaim Christ. uh, And we ask, God, that your glory would fill the earth as we know that one day it is going to do and Christ is going to reign. So that's our hope and joy. Help us to listen well. Help me to be clear as I communicate this morning. Well, uh, to start off with, uh, again, we want to get to the preaching of God's word, but Caleb asked me and, and to share a little bit about our ministry and what we're going to be doing. So just a, a little bit of background on our path to Spain, how we got, where we're going, Um, And I I think there's slides that are going to be coming along uh, to help you track with where we're going. But uh, my parents, Dar and Vicki Gruey, again, Caleb mentioned that some of you may know them. They attended uh, Valley 4th and then Berean Bible. And then when I was very young, we moved to Faith Bible Church uh, off of Division Street. And my dad was an elder at FBC, and they did a great job raising us. But uh, parents take heart. It doesn't matter sometimes how great of a job you do. God has to convert the heart. And that was true in my case. I wasn't saved when I was young, not until I was almost 20. And God, through some really difficult circumstances, uh, brought me back home from college to Faith Bible Church. And brothers and sisters graciously uh, preached Christ's gospel to me. And that was where I came to understand my sinfulness Uh, God convicted me and gave me the grace of of salvation, allowed me to repent from my sins, and brought me to Christ. And and I was able to see my need for a Savior and His substitutionary death in, in my place. After God saved me, I was immediately discipled in the local church. Some of the elders at FBC who shepherded me helped me to grow and mature and my knowledge of Christ and his word. And as I grew, uh, they started to encourage me to use my spiritual gifts to serve the body as we're supposed to do. And over the next several years, I was involved in youth and college ministry and uh, found the truth that all of us who are serving Christ know that there is no greater joy than to be using our Christ-given gifts to serve his body, right? That, that is our source of joy as believers as we walk In obedience with him. So uh, I was serving in the church and obeying Christ and growing. uh, And it was as I was serving and growing that one of the elders asked me to go on a short-term mission trip uh, with him to Spain. FBC had a church plant in Spain. And so I went and, and we served and we preached the gospel there. And it was a short trip and it was an intense moment of impact but it had a really lasting effect in my life because as I was in Spain and I looked around and I was able to be in the church and see kind of the layout of the churches in Spain, both in the peninsula and in the island where we were ministering, I was able to recognize there's a massive need for the gospel to be proclaimed in Spain, and there's a massive need for Bible-preaching churches to be planted in Spain as well and I'll share about that need in, in just a few minutes. So the next step for me was I came home from that trip and uh, voiced that desire to the elders, saying, I think that God is uh, in, in some sense leading me towards missions, towards Spain. I have this desire, so help me figure out what this looks like and if that really is God's calling on my life. So the elders came alongside, and they started to assess and evaluate uh, my life and, and my ministry, and my ability to disciple and teach. Uh, and, and I just want to encourage some of the, the younger people here in, at church, or really anyone, uh, and man, as you have a desire to teach or to be a missionary, that w- what you need to do is go to your elders and give voice to that desire. Those are good desires to have. It's a good desire to want to pastor or shepherd or be a missionary, but you need the oversight of the elders, and they'll help you through that and answer questions and evaluate your life. And that's the biblical pattern that God uses to confirm a man's ministry in the church, and I'm just so thankful that I had men in my life who helped me walk through that, and after a time, after years of several years of serving and being prepared and learning how to teach, The elders continued to affirm that uh, they thought the Lord had a calling on my life for ministry. And I continued to have a desire to go to Spain after several more trips there and and longer stints of several months at a time. And so the elders uh, uh, sent me to train at seminary for a lifetime of ministry. I started at uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and I studied two years there. And then for a number of reasons, uh, re- after two years, returned home to Spokane and decided to finish seminary at the Master Seminary in Los Angeles. I think a lot of you are familiar with that. That's where John MacArthur's church is at Grace Community Church. And the biggest blessing I received out of that uh transfer of seminaries came in the year that I was back in Spokane, which is when the Lord provided me with a wife. And God providentially, and and I think uh, I would even say, some others would say miraculously, definitely my older brothers would say, it was a miracle that uh, I met Hannah and we just see God's hand in that. Uh, Hannah grew up in Valdez, Alaska. She's too beautiful and sweet to look like she's from Alaska, but she is. And she came to study in Spokane uh, at Whitworth and was discipled by some of the gals at uh, Faith Bible Church, and that's where we met. She had done some time in Costa Rica serving alongside missionaries there. She was a Spanish major and uh, had a desire to, uh, if she found a husband that was going towards ministry or missions to go and serve the Lord there. So we just see God's providential love, especially for me, uh, in giving me uh, just such a godly and, and wonderful spouse. And uh, so we were married a year later, and uh, on our way to seminary several weeks after that, and we had a year and a half left down there at seminary, and I was able to finally stretch that into three years of seminary. Uh because we we knew that seminary is only part of the picture. Training in the local church and obeying Christ's commands for us to serve his body, that's the focus. So the studies are good, but they have to happen in the context of the local church, and we just dove into ministry down there. In the Spanish ministry at Pastor MacArthur's church there, um, and we grew in our understanding of the word and how to minister and serve alongside Guys in the back with the the slides, you can keep advancing. A couple, I think. One more. That looks like about where we're at. Um, I want you to see the pictures of our cute family too. So yeah. Um, so we finished seminary down there. We were submerged into the Hispanic culture of L. A. Uh, we loved it. We had such a sweet time with our dear. Hispanic brothers and sisters, they helped us grow a lot in our Spanish speaking to the point where I'm able to preach, and uh, Hannah uh, finished her biblical counseling degree down there, or certificate uh, down there, and she's able to counsel in Spanish, so we have a high proficiency. Again, we just see how the Lord has been at work. We started to uh, raise support once we moved away from L.A., and we got here to Spokane in August and about after about six months we have 80 percent of our support and we're so thankful to the Lord for that uh, and so looking uh, and Lord willing to to be applying for visas in the next few months to be in Spain later this summer uh, if the Lord sees fit so we're excited about that well let me let me tell you a little bit about our ministry plan that'll be the next slide thanks guys uh, simply and succinctly it is to proclaim the gospel of Christ where he's not known and to plant a church. That, that's simply what our, our mission is going to be there in Spain, and we'll talk a little bit about why we have those priorities. Uh, we're doing this in partnership with Grace Community Church and, and their missions agency, GMI, and then also with Faith Bible Church, where I grew up as our sending church and now Partnering with you all, so we're so thankful for that. Uh, one of the blessings we had while we were in L.A. was we got to meet a lot of guys from Spain who were graduates at TMS and are serving in Spain, and we got to know them and love those guys. They're there uh, pastoring a church in León, uh, and that is about three hours northwest of Madrid. And Caleb asked me to put a photo in, and that was the only thing I forgot. I think so. We have some prayer cards. There's a map on them that shows you where León is in Spain. But again, it's about three hours northwest of Madrid. And those TMS grads are there pastoring this church, seeking to reach that city of of a couple of hundred thousand people. And they're also running a training center for pastors, a seminary. Uh, So they're there laboring. We got to know them, to love them, to really respect them as godly men and Uh, We also got the opportunity to have them ask us uh, that we would come and and partner with them in planting a church. So that's what we're going to be doing, partnering with them, working as a team with local Spaniards. Uh, We're not going to be going off on our own in uh, an isolated city uh, to be there by ourselves. We're going to work as a team with this church that's like-minded to us and with some of their people, To plant the church. And after that, uh, our plan is really simple. We're going to evangelize. We're going to proclaim the gospel and we're going to disciple new believers to maturity. And we're going to, as the church grow, we're going to train elders. That's going to be a focus from within the church. And we're going to entrust the spiritual care of that flock to them. And then if the Lord permits, We're going to replicate that church Uh, as the church grows to maturity. We would see it uh, send others to another city in Spain to plant a church. So I want to share with you the the foundation for this plan. And there's going to be two parts. First, why Spain? Why would we go to Spain of all countries? And then second, why plant a church? Why not some other type of ministry in Spain? So first, why, why Spain? Well, Most of you are familiar with the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s, 1600s that occurred in Europe. And it was really just this explosion of a return to biblical truth, a return to the gospel of salvation by God's grace through faith in Christ, and and really a return to the sufficiency of Christ for our salvation. And it just kind of blew up across Europe, but it never reached Spain. It never reached Spain. Spain was staunchly Catholic, and it was the center of religious and political power. And when the Reformation started, Spain started a counter-Reformation. And what that meant simply is that they would capture and torture and kill people who, according to the Catholic Church, held these heretical views that we find in Scripture. And so the Reformation never was able to take root in Spain because anyone that went preaching the gospel of Christ was uh, captured and and killed or exiled. Uh, So Spain, there's never been, pardon me, there's never been a, a, a an exposure to salvation by grace through faith in Spain. They haven't heard the gospel. It's not like uh, some of the other European countries that heard the gospel for many years and then have, in a sense, turned aside. Spain has never been exposed. And what we're seeing right now is that people are hearing this completely foreign message and responding to it. And God is saving people. So that's exciting. Uh, there was one light that, that was came out of that dark time, which was the publication of the first Spanish Bible. to men who were... Persecuted, had to flee Spain. Uh, made the first translation of the Bible from Hebrew and Greek to Spanish, so that the people could have it in their own language when the Catholic Church was doing mass in Latin. So that was massive. But other than that, there Catholicism has been dominant in Spain, and there hasn't been that freedom of religion to have any choice to be anything but Catholic. In Spain, if you're if you're a Spaniard, you're Catholic, and you just see this dominance of Catholicism all all over Spain in these massive, beautiful cathedrals that just tower over the cities there. Uh, it was just the dominant force in Spain, and that continued after the Spanish Civil War that ended in 1939. There was a, a, a fascist dictator, really, General Franco who until 1975 strictly prohibited religious practices. We know a lot of people there that were persecuted, a lot of evangelical Christians that were persecuted there. So it has had a history of suppressing evangelicalism and and the true gospel, and Catholicism doesn't offer an alternative. The churches there are not preaching salvation by grace. They're, They're not even preaching God's word uh, and, and so this dead religion hasn't given any possibility to the people of reconciliation with God, of a true knowledge of God. And so uh, it, the country has had no spiritual life. There's really been a gospel absence. The result of the Inquisition and the quenching of the Reformation in Spain and the state-mandated persecution of Protestants And the dead state of the Catholic Church has produced one result. People don't know God. And they don't even know where to start to know God. And they're turning, now that there's freedom of religion to believe other things, they're turning to agnosticism and atheism because they haven't heard about the one true God. Seventy percent of Spaniards say they're Catholic, but those that are Catholic and profess to be Catholics, the vast majority... Never step foot inside a church to be exposed to the Word of God. It's Catholic by name. For those that do, most of what Catholicism looks like is festivals and rituals and idolatry and, and those as an excuse to have parties. So it, there's a, a, a complete absence of biblical light in Spain. So there's just a desperate need for the gospel. Here's some of the statistics that will hopefully help you see that need. Um, Depending on where you get your statistics, between 1% and 3% of of the population of Spain professes to be evangelical. And the Joshua Project, which is probably the largest of of these groups doing these estimates, says about 1.5%, 1.6%. But within that category of Protestant or evangelical is really everybody who says they're Christian but not Catholic. So you get all sorts of of what we would know as heretical groups or sects and and they're included in this number and there's a massive amount of even highly charismatic and we would say prosperity gospel churches. So a huge portion of that 1.6% is made up of people where we have to we have to wonder are they actually saved because they're not preaching the gospel. We don't know that they even know it. And when you speak to faithful, Christ-honoring, born-again believers there in Spain, they would tell you, no, it's a fraction, a small fraction of 1% of the population that knows Christ. The, the majority of congregations in Spain are small. If you have 75 people in your church, that's a really good-sized church. And in a city of a couple of hundred thousands, you might only find one Bible-preaching church, 75 believers amongst several hundred thousand. While in most of the large cities of Spain you would find some sort of evangelical church, those that have a a couple of hundred thousand people, there's also a large portion of the population that's completely unengaged with the gospel. And that just means they don't have a church in their town and no one is seeking to reach them with the gospel. There's over 8,000 smaller towns in Spain. 92% of them don't have a church in the city and don't have a church within reasonable driving uh, distance. That's about 20% of the population of Spain, around 10 million people that don't have a church. And, and just for reference, that's the entire population of Washington State, which is 7.6 million people, plus the entire city of Chicago proper, which is 3 million people, without access to the gospel in Spain. It's a massive number that are in these towns. And the travesty about it is they don't have a church, but more than that, these are places where nobody's making a plan to go and preach the gospel to them. And This is tens of, you know, 10 million souls and nobody right now is currently saying we need to go and preach the gospel to them. As many of the churches in Spain are in survival mode and just trying to reach their own city. So there's a massive need for the gospel in Spain and in all of these places. There's a, a vast need for the proclamation of the gospel. And that's really what's driving us, that's the burden on our heart is to see Christ proclaimed in all these cities where people right now are, are going to the grave without hearing the word of Christ. So that's why uh, we are going to Spain amongst other readings and, and or other reasons. And I just want to now answer the question, why why plant a church? And this is where we get to open the scriptures. And I'm sorry we've taken so long with the rest. But why, why are we going to plant a church? When, when we talk about missions today, there's a lot of things that someone can mean by missions. And really there's a lot of good activity that happens, uh, especially, Caleb mentioned, closed countries where you have to be creative about how you gain access to that country through schools or medical missions or even digging wells. There's a lot of things like that. But our ministry plan is to plant a church uh, in Spain, in a city where Christ isn't known because we have that freedom. So why plant a church? And you can open up to Matthew 28, because ultimately we want to plant a church because we want to be obedient to Scripture, and we want to specifically be obedient to the great commission that Christ left the church to carry out. Christ left his special instructions for the church after his resurrection and before his ascension into heaven, and it holds a special place as part of his final instructions to the disciples and to us. Matthew 28 and Acts 1 most clearly spell out, These instructions. And I want us to note several aspects of the commission that Christ gives to the disciples in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And first, I want us to see in verse 18 that the command that Christ is going to give us is authoritative. It's authoritative. Verse 18 says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth all authority is Christ. And I want to ask us when was that authority given to Christ? Of course he is the son of God, existing eternally holding all things together. He has this eternal authority, but there is a specific authority that Jesus is mentioning here that we're going to see all throughout the New Testament and we could say categorically that this speaks of the authority that was given to him at his resurrection. Because when Christ was raised, he wasn't just simply raised from the dead, was he? He was raised to a position of authority. Ephesians 1.20 says that God's power was displayed dramatically in Christ when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority, and power, and dominion, and and above every name that is named, not only in this age, Paul says, but also in the one to come. In, In other words, through the resurrection, Christ was raised to a position of absolute supremacy over all things. And Paul in Ephesians continues on by telling us that under Christ's authority is the church, Christ is the head of the church, and the church is his body. And as the head, he commands the church and dictates what we are to do on this earth. This means that as the church, we have to be busy carrying out Christ's authoritative commands. But not only that, because Christ has all authority, he has authority over every human being and authority to demand their repentance and faith In him as Lord. And we, as ambassadors of Christ, have both the authority and the responsibility to lovingly and graciously proclaim the demands of our King that people would repent from their sins and turn to Christ and believe the gospel. So, this commission is not carried out because it seems like a good idea or because we've already done a lot of stuff in the local church and so we need to reach out somewhere else, or because we think that people should listen to Christ. No, this command comes with Christ's full authority, the authority of the risen Son of God. And we go as His heralds. Second, I want us to see in the text, there's a command to make disciples. Verse 19, he says, Go, therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There are a few different elements involved in the process of disciple-making. Jesus starts by saying, go. This idea that to make disciples, we have to be going. And in Acts 1-8, Jesus said... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And so whether it is going to unbelievers in our workplace and proclaiming the gospel or to different parts of Spokane or to the remotest parts of the earth or to Spain, we have to go in order to proclaim this message and make disciples. Next, there's a clear implication that in order for a person to, to be a true disciple, conversion has to happen. A person must be saved. We, we know, I know you guys have been going through the book of John. You've been working through those first 12 chapters. And you've seen that there are many false disciples that for a time start to follow Christ and have some sort of external commitment to Him, but they're not true disciples. And Jesus makes it clear that what is needed To be a true disciple is for the Father to draw that person to Christ, for that person to be taught by God. And Jesus told Nicodemus in chapter 3 that there's a requirement to being a true disciple and to enter God's kingdom, and that is that someone must be born again. And this new birth is, as Jesus says, from above. It's a new birth from above, it's the work of the sovereign God, the work of the Holy Spirit. And it is that net, uh, conversion, that new birth, that's necessary for discipleship to even start. And we know from Scripture that that conversion happens through God's Word. First Peter one twenty three tells us that the new birth that the Holy Spirit brings about is through the Word. You have been born again, not of seed which is imperishable, which is perishable, Peter says, but imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. We're born again through God's Word. And Romans 10.17 tells us that faith, which in a sense is the conduit of God's salvation to us, that faith comes through hearing, and the only hearing that produces faith is the hearing of the Word of Christ. So at the center of making disciples is the proclamation of the gospel, isn't it? It's the proclamation of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. His perfect life lived in our place. His perfect righteousness credited to us. And as 1 Peter 2.24 says, Him bearing all our sins in His body on the cross so that dying to sin we might live to righteousness and be reconciled to God. That's where disciple-making starts, is the proclamation of the gospel. And that's why our ministry, what Hannah and I are going to be doing in Spain, is going to be founded on the proclamation of the gospel. So by God's grace, we'll seek to proclaim Christ in every relationship we have. Any acquaintance, we're going to seek to be active in doing English classes or different events that will open doors for preaching the gospel, and we're going to do street evangelism because for disciples to be made, the word of Christ, the message of his death and resurrection has to be proclaimed. So that's where we are going to focus our energy. Back in Matthew 28, Jesus gives us another element of making disciples. We have to baptize them, new believers in obedience to Christ and as a symbol of our union with him, in his death, burial, and resurrection, have to be baptized. But there's a final element in this command to make disciples that demands we plant churches. It it, it demands that we plant churches because we might be tempted to say, if there are all these unreached cities in Spain, why wouldn't we just go from town to town, preach the gospel, dunk the new converts, and move on to the next city? Why wouldn't we do that and reach the most people Possible? Why would we put, in a sense, geographic limits on what we're doing? And the answer is because we want to be obedient to the Great Commission. Because verse 20 tells us that not only are we to evangelize and baptize, we're to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. We have to teach them to obey all that Christ has commands us. That's instruction in the whole counsel of God. And in God's sovereign plan and wisdom, he has made the church to be the place where that maturity is reached under Christ's headship. The church is where new believers are disciple, where they grow to maturity and are equipped for ministry. And the beauty of the body of Christ is this, especially in its expression in the local church. It's that in Christ, we're all one, aren't we? We've all been united into Him. And yet He has given to each member of the local church, each member of His body, spiritual gifts to use for the building up of the body. We can go to Ephesians 4 in your Bibles. Christ has given these spiritual gifts to the body of Christ so that we would grow up to full maturity. And that's what Paul says so clearly in Ephesians 4 verses 4 through 6, he says this, There is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we have this unity in Christ, this oneness. Excuse me. And yet we're not all a group of clones or lemmings, are we? Right? That's not the same. We don't all look the same. Christ actually makes us all different and he gives us different gifts. Look at verse 7. He says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Note that Paul says that Christ has given to each one grace. And in verse 8 we see how that grace manifests itself. It says, When he ascended on high, when Christ ascended... He led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So Christ in his grace has given to each one of us spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. And in verse 11, Paul says that some of those gifts that Christ gives are men, right? They're men. They're apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And he gives them uh, in verse 12, to, he says for the equipping of the saints for the work of service so that the body of Christ would be built up. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So the pastors, the elders and the church are here to equip us all to use our spiritual gifts To serve the body so that the body would grow up to full maturity in Christ. That's only achieved. Maturity in Christ is only achieved as Christ called biblically qualified elders shepherd the church and teach us how to use our gifts in the local church. And that's another reason why we're going to place a high priority on training elders Training elders. The Apostle Paul's pattern of ministry and instruction to pastors, both in Acts 14 and, and in his instructions to Titus and Timothy, is to appoint biblically qualified men who are able to shepherd the church. And so, a big focus as we disciple men in the church uh, is that I'll be seeking to train men who would be godly, biblically qualified elders who would have a desire. To shepherd the flock of God just as your elders here shepherd you and seek your spiritual growth. And then ultimately our desire is the church that the church would grow in maturity until the point where we're able to replicate as we send others out to plant another church, those that have been trained up, raised up in the church. And in part, that's why we won't go from city to city because in the context of the local church, that's where Christ raises up ministers to use the gifts that he has given them. That's where biblically qualified men that are able to pastor are raised up and trained as each member is involved in that growth. And it, and it ends up being a snowball effect. as a church grows and matures and trains men, and then those men are sent out, there's an impact for God's kingdom that goes well beyond what any one person could do as a generation after generation of men are raised up and sent out to continue planting and proclaiming the gospel. And that's why the church is at the center of God's plan to expand Christ's kingdom, is it not? This is where growth happens. This is where men are trained and sent to preach the gospel. So if we want to be faithful to the Great Commission, if we want to see Christ glorified in his body as it grows into full maturity, then then we we have to plant the church. That's the biblical mandate. That's the only way that all of the discipleship that Christ calls us to do in the Great Commission can happen. And this is where we're, we're really thankful for you, Valley Bible Church, and for the elders who have been leading this congregation faithfully for years because you've had a direct impact, and, and Caleb mentioned it earlier, but a direct impact even on my life as the Lord was training me for ministry. And that there's, there's a man in the church here who has met for lunch with my dad every Thursday and they study the Word together, and they bear one another's burden, and there's this iron sharpening iron that has happened through that fellowship and that has had a major impact on my life as my dad is sharpened and then sharpens me and has influenced me. So I'm so thankful for that godly influence that you didn't even know you had on my life. Because the impact of one person in the church as Paul is telling us in Ephesians 4, is the cumulative result of every member exercising their gifts, isn't it? People serving in the children's ministry so that parents can come and hear the Word of God without distraction. People discipling youth. People ministering to elderly people in the church. The elders shepherding faithfully deacons, ushers. All of that works together so that we're all built up and equipped for the ministry that God gives us and there is an incredible impact again that reaches far beyond the walls of this church and beyond the spheres of our own personal lives. That's so encouraging. So we're so thankful we've seen the photos of the other missionaries that the church supports and we've heard a little bit about what's going on around the world and we know that each member of this church that's using their Christ-given gifts is part of the expansion of Christ's kingdom, not just in Spokane, but around the world. Isn't that a glorious thought? Doesn't that make you love the church and want to invest more and more even here in this church and bring yourself joyfully under the leadership of the elders and seek to love one another, serve one another? Ephesians 4 says, speaking the truth in love, we to grow up. That, that's what happens in the local church. So we're so thankful for you, thankful to be partnering with you. We're looking forward to getting to know many of you. And I just want to pray and thank the Lord for the time together as we close here. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives, for the the greatness of the gospel, the greatness of Christ and his work on the cross that has brought us into one body. And we thank you for the calling that you have given each of us to exercise our gifts so that the body would be built up. Thank you. Thank you for this church. Pray that you would bless it greatly in, in the coming years as they serve you faithfully. In Christ's name, amen.